Hey, man, that was good. That was real good. Thank you, Brother Jennings, for those words at the end. They, uh, they definitely kind of tie in with my sermon today. He didn't know what I was preaching on. But we're going to talk a little bit about the blood of Jesus being what covers us and makes us worthy uh, to stand before that throne. We're in the book of Revelation. We are uh, continuing right on. We've been in the book of Revelation for quite a while. We took a little bit of a break kind of through the holidays. Uh, but Lord willing, we are going to be hitting it, hitting it hard here for the next several months. Uh, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 5. The last thing we read about was the throne room of, of heaven in chapter 4. Uh, we'll just give a brief little recap, just real quick over what we've kind of talked about so far. Uh, we've talked about that the book of Revelation is, is a revelation uh, from Jesus Christ through an angel uh, to John on the island of Patmos. And the book started off pretty practical, pretty easy to understand. There's a lot of imagery in the book of Revelation, some stuff that is it supposed to be literal? Is it just uh, some symbolism to help us understand what's going on? And the answer is, I don't know. I have my opinions, but it's a tough book. And so uh, we may not know all the answers, but here's what we do know about the book of Revelation. It is a book about Jesus Christ. He is victorious, He is coming back, and He's going to finish God's plan and those of us who are in Christ will be taken up to heaven and we will be spared and we will be covered by the blood forever and ever. And those who are not in Christ will not experience Christ's grace, but they will experience God's wrath. And that's what the book of Revelation talks about. We see John write to these seven churches. These were seven physical, literal churches of John's day that would have been in that area of Asia Minor. Uh, they, were, they were messages that were to those people and there were messages who were to the church as a whole. They were to Christians everywhere. They were to you and I. There was a lot of good stuff in there. If you've never read Revelation chapter 2 and 3, then go read it. There's some stuff in there you need to read. Well, those were pretty easy to understand. Wasn't a whole lot that was difficult there. And then we get uh, to Revelation chapter 4. Um, it's kind of a difficult chapter because depending on what your view is, uh, some would say the church is going to be raptured when Revelation chapter 4 takes place and we'll be gone for all the worst of the worst. Some, uh, some would believe that you have to go through all of these tribulations and difficult times. The text is really tough. We talked about some different views. I personally believe that uh, chapter 4 is not when we'll be raptured. I think it'll be a little later on, but I could be wrong. We could be raptured in chapter 4. It's difficult. Point is, we know that Jesus is coming back and He's going to take care of His kids, His children, whenever that time comes. Uh, we see chapter 4 when we finally get into there. Uh, John is in the throne room. We see a description of a beautiful place that we cannot even begin to fathom. We see creatures that are kind of strange to us. We see uh, these 24 elders that could represent the completeness as the whole as the church. It could represent uh, the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel. We really don't know, but there are those there who have seeked the Lord, who want to serve the Lord, who are praising the Lord night and day. In Revelation chapter 4. And that's where we left off a couple weeks ago. And that's kind of the Cliff Notes version to get you up of, of what we've been talking about. Now this morning we move into Revelation chapter 5. Chapter 5 is not too difficult, but then when we get to chapter 6, it gets serious then. From about chapter 6 to probably about chapter 19, we're going to talk about some serious stuff. But chapter 5 is a good chapter. This is what gives us hope as Christians. So... Let us dig in. We'll read through the whole chapter. We may or may not get through it all today, but we'll do our best and see what we can do. Um, Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on the inside 
and on the back, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. And I cried and cried because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, Stop crying. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious, so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent into all the earth. He came and took the scroll out of his right hand, Excuse me, he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and gold bowl filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slaughtered and you redeemed people for God by your blood." From every tribe and language and people and nation, you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. You know what? Let's stop there. We're going to pray. God, I come to you this morning, and I just thank you uh, for the privilege to get to speak your word. And God, I pray that you would just prepare our hearts to be ready. God, prepare my heart, God, that I would be not sidetracked or worried about other stuff. And, And God, I pray that for each one in here. I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that you would help us to realize the significance of these verses, uh, that Jesus Christ alone is worthy. So I pray that you pour your Holy Spirit out on us, God, and I ask these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We see some good stuff here in Revelation chapter 5. We see John who is standing before the throne, and we we see it switch to a different chapter in our Bible. Originally in the text, there were no chapters or verses, so this would have been just kind of a long uh, flowing thing as he just continues to describe what he's seeing in heaven. And then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on the inside on the back. Some translations say book. It could have been a book. It could have been a scroll. Uh, the, the, the Greek word there can go either way. But ever how you want to take it, there was God who was seated on the throne that John had described previously in chapter 4. And here in the right hand of God was the scroll or was this book, and it was sealed with seven seals. Now, I don't know what that book is or what that scroll is. What I do know is that it was completely full. It was written front and back. There was no, nothing left to be written on it as though it was complete. It was done. It was nothing going to be added to. It was nothing going to be taken away. And it had been sealed with seven seals. Now, when we talk about the number seven in Scripture, we talk about seven in the book of Revelation being symbolic. It's completeness. It was completely sealed. If something was important back in those days, you would seal it once, uh, probably with a wax seal. It would be wax put on there, and if, if a king or somebody had a ring, they would press it into that, and that would be their, their seal. And as long as that wasn't broken, you know it had never been opened. And you knew that was an important document because it was sealed. Well, this document was sealed seven times. It was, it was a perfect document. It was perfectly sealed. 
And this is what John was seeing uh, when he looked on the throne and saw uh, the Lord sitting there. It was in his right hand that symbolizes authority. When we see uh, the right hand mentioned in Scripture, that is a symbol of, of authority. God is the one who is in complete control and complete authority, and he is the one who is holding this book, who is holding this scroll that is complete and that is completely and perfectly sealed. And some would say that this book or this scroll may be the book of life. It may be the book that contains the names of all those souls who are in the Lord, who one day are going to go up to heaven and we're going to talk about that at the end of, uh, of Revelation. It may or may not be. We don't really know what's in this scroll, what's written on the scroll, and what its contents are. But it's important, and John uh, desires for these seals to be broken so that this scroll uh, can be read. Let's read a little further. Uh, then I saw... In the right hand of the one seated on the throne, a scroll with writing on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Not just anyone can open this, this, this scroll. Not just anyone can break these seals to see what was written in there. Only the one who was worthy. Let's read on a little further. But no one in heaven... <laughs> Are on earth, are under the heavens, or excuse me, are under the earth, was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. And I cried and cried because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Now imagine, if you will, for a second. Here is John in this wonderful, perfect place. He is in the presence of God Almighty. He is in the presence of these elders and these creatures who are worshiping the Lord day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And in the right hand of God, he sees a scroll whose contents are unknown to John. It is sealed seven times, and I would imagine that he desperately wants to know what is in there. Perhaps he knows that that is going to be the conclusion of God's plan. Perhaps he knows that everything that ever has been and ever is going to be is written in this scroll. And its conclusion cannot come to be until these seals are broken and this scroll is read. I don't know what John was thinking, but I know this. He was completely saddened because no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was found worthy to open this scroll. John was terrified. There was no hope because he didn't know what the scroll said and there was nobody who was worthy to open it. Would he ever know what the scroll said? Would he ever know what God's will was, what God's plan was, what God's will was, what the contents that was written on this scroll? And when the angel announced in a loud voice and no one came forward, John was heartbroken. And he cried and he cried and he cried because no one was found worthy. And here's where it gets good. Then one of the elders said to me, Stop crying. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. Anybody want to guess who that's talking about? Jesus. Jesus. There is one who is worthy. The elder says, Don't cry, John. Don't be upset. There is one who is worthy. One who has been prophesied about from the beginning of time all the way until now. One who we see sprinkled all throughout the Old Testament. That one has come. You can turn with me if you want to, but you don't have to, to 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 4. I just want to read one simple verse. If you don't want to turn, no worries. Just listen carefully. 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 4. If you get it, just hold your finger there for a second. 
We see in this verse that Jesus is described as the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. You see, uh, if you follow Jesus' bloodline, if you follow His family tree, it goes right on back to David. It goes right on back to Jesse, David's father. And this is where Jesus come from. This has been prophesied about through the whole Old Testament. And this is how the elder refers to Jesus when he's talking to him uh, with John. We, we know this is going to be the case because listen at this in First uh, Chronicles chapter 28, verse 4. Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me out of all my father's households to be the king over Israel forever. David realized that it was through him that God had already promised him that he would be the king over Israel forever through his bloodline. And here comes Jesus following right in the bloodline of David who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, not just for a little while. Not just while he was here on this earth, not just for a thousand year reign that's going to come, but forever and ever and ever. God is good for his word. When God says something, you can bank on it. And God had promised David that through him the Messiah was going to come. And here is Jesus Christ from David. He has entered the scene. Got another verse we want to look at. If you want to flip to it, Isaiah chapter 11. You can flip or you can just listen, whatever you want to do. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Some more language similar to that that we just read, talking about the coming king uh, that's going to come through David. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. That's David's dad, Jesse. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And here we see it. Here is that one that had been talked about so much in the Old Testament. Here is that root uh, from, from David. Here is that one uh, that, that bears the branches that produces fruit. It is none other than Jesus Christ. And He has come and He is on the scene. And He is the one who is worthy. Then one of the elders said to me, Stop crying. Look, the lion. Jesus is referred to as the lions. When you talk about king of kings, when you talk about king of the jungle, who is the king of the jungle? It is the lion. He is the biggest. He is the toughest. He is the most ferocious. And here Jesus is described as the lion. He is victorious. He is the king. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious. What does that mean, has been victorious? Has been that means the victory is already won. It doesn't say He is the one who is currently fighting the battle who will get the victory. It says that the victory has already been won. <coughs> you say, well, how can the victory be won? We still see evil in the world. Jesus hadn't come back. We see in the book of Revelation there's going to be a massive battle. How in the world, if the battle and the war hadn't even been fought, how has the victory been won? The victory was won when Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again three days later. Jesus was victorious that day. That was it. That was the end. That was the devil's best shot. He gave it all he had to try to thwart Jesus. He started the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We talked about that last week in Sunday school. He tried his best to keep Jesus from fulfilling what God's will, what God's plan, what God's desire was. And Jesus stood 
firm. He did not give in. Even when he was being mocked and beaten and all the things that he had to put up with, Jesus did not give in. And when he was, when he was hung on a cross and when he was crucified, he gave his life for us so that his blood would be shed so that we could be forgiven. And he rose three days later and death couldn't stop him. And we share in that victory when we accept Jesus Christ. It's not he's going to be victorious. He has been victorious. So Christian, we have reason to rejoice today. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are victorious. Praise the Lord. We got hope. Jesus has been victorious so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing between the throne and the four living creatures. And among the elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. Now here we have a, a kind of a, a vivid description here. And it helps us to realize that this is imagery, this is symbolism here. When we read that Jesus is, is, is like a slaughtered lamb with seven horns and seven eyes, I don't believe that when we get to heaven we're going to see uh, this dead-looking lamb with seven horns and seven eyes there. I don't believe that that's what Jesus is going to look like. But I do believe that this is symbolic for who Jesus is. Because when you look in the Old Testament, it was the Lamb who was slaughtered for the forgiveness of sins. And it is Jesus Christ who was that Lamb who was the forgiveness of sins that was good for all eternity. Because in the Old Testament, the priest would continually have to go and offer the sacrifice and offer the sacrifice so that the blood would cover the sins of the people. And here comes Jesus, who is king, who is priest, and who is the Lamb Himself who gave His body to be sacrificed for us. But listen to the words here. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing. He was like a slaughtered lamb, but He wasn't dead. Even though they tried to kill Jesus, even though they hung Him on a cross, and even though He was dead for a couple of days, the grave couldn't hold Him. He's victorious. He's standing now because He has conquered death. He has conquered sin. He has shed His blood, and He shed it for you and me. Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus died for you? And somebody, some of you may be saying, why in the world would Jesus die for me? I'll tell you why, because He loves you. He died, now He's standing in heaven before the throne we see in this verse here. Then I saw one like a, like a slaughtered lamb standing between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. Here's Jesus between God and the creatures and right amongst the elders. And what good imagery that is for us. Because if Jesus wasn't between us and God, we could never get there. The Bible tells us that Jesus is a mediator between God and man. What does all that mean? That means we can't get to God on our own. It's not that we can build a high enough ladder and say, you know what, I'm going to work on this super time and I'm going to make it to God. No. It's not that we can be really good and say, well, look, God, I know you sent Jesus, but I'm going to do it my own way. I think I can be good enough to get there. No. There's all these things people in the world want to believe that's going to get them to God, and there's nothing going to get you to God in the presence of God Almighty except for the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the one that stands between us and God. No one comes to the Father except through Him. And here we see Jesus like a slaughtered lamb standing who has given His life for us, and the elder tells John, 
don't worry because look, here comes one who is both a lion and a lamb. One who is as strong as the lion, as the king of the jungle, and one who is as gentle and as humble and ready to give himself like a lamb. And one who has already won the victory. It says he has seven horns. That's a a symbol of, of power and authority. That Jesus is the one who is in complete power and complete authority here. He has seven eyes that represent the seven spirits of God. We, if you, uh, the verse we just read in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2, it talks about these different attributes of the Spirit of God. These seven eyes mean that He is all-seeing and all-knowing. And here is this one standing before the throne between God and us who is the mediator. The one who has given His life and the one who has been victorious. And this is what he did. Verse 7, He came and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. Boy, that's pretty good right there. There's one who is worthy. And Jesus has taken the scroll. Now there's some, uh, there's some talk, you know, discussion if you read your commentaries among biblical scholars as to what maybe all this meant. One theory is is that in Roman times, the the Roman leaders, whenever they would die, their last will and testament would be sealed with seven seals. And some would say that that's uh, kind of imagery of what's going on here. That this is God's last will and testament, so to speak. God didn't die, by the way. But this is God's last will and testament, and that it tells God's plan. It tells the way everything's going to be and everything's going to come to take place. And that Jesus is the one who is... Reading that, Jesus is the one who is the inheritor, so to speak. Jesus is the one who is going to fulfill that and make that happen. And Jesus is the one who is worthy to read and open this scroll and see what it says and fulfill everything that takes place. And that may or may not be what this verse means, but it helps us to understand, at least me in a sense, that Jesus is the only one worthy to receive this scroll. If I think about it as the last will and testament, maybe that's not the best word to use, but when someone passes away, only the one who is in the will is the one who can read and partake of what's in the will. And Jesus is the only one who is worthy to open this scroll that has been sealed seven times, and He takes it from the hand of God. When He took the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, Each one had a harp and gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slaughtered and you redeemed people for God by your blood. For every tribe and language and people and nation, you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Here we have Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the mighty Lamb that was slain, the mighty Lion. And here we have Jesus. He is worthy to take the scroll. He is worthy to look at its contents. One day we're all going to have to stand before God. And the question that you need to ask today is, have you accepted this Lord and Savior that we have looked at? The only one who is worthy the only one in all of heaven and all of earth, the only one who has ever lived who is worthy is Jesus Christ. And we have hope in Him. We see John, who when nobody could come through and see what was in the scroll, what was sealed up, 
we see John cry and cry and cry. Because if there would have been no one who was worthy, John would have had no hope. And I got news for you, you and I wouldn't have had any hope either. If Jesus hadn't have been able to resist the devil, if Jesus would have given in to sin, He wouldn't have conquered the grave. He wouldn't have been victorious. There would have been no one in all of creation worthy to open the seal. And we would all be just as John, and we would cry and cry and cry because there would be no hope for us. But praise the Lord, that's not the case. Praise the Lord, that's not the case. There are so many people who want to turn away from Jesus, who never want to turn to Jesus, who think Jesus was just a weak man if He was so big and so strong. How did He die on the cross? There are a lot of people in this world that say, you don't need Jesus to get to God. I say otherwise. The Bible clearly says otherwise. Here in this book we see in chapter 5 that Jesus is the one that stands between us and the throne. There are many people who would say that you can get to God in a lot of different ways. Uh, Michelle and I just watched a movie last night, and it was horrible, by the way. The name of it was The Life of Pi. If you hadn't watched it, just save yourself the, the, the horror, unless you just got to it and then just watch it. But anyway, it was, a, it was a horrible, bad story. It was confusing to me, but I'm dumb. Anyway, but anyway, the, the, they were very subtle in trying to, to get a point across in this movie. I say so. It wasn't that subtle, I don't guess. The, the, the movie starts out with this young boy, and he begins to see God, and he begins to realize that you can find God anywhere. And this, this boy was a Hindu, and he was a, he was a Christian, and he was, a, he was a, a, a Muslim, and he was all these things. And he said, it doesn't matter that God is in all these things, and it's the same God, and he uses different religions, and we can all get to him the same way. And I'll tell you what, the world wants you to believe that. We see it right here in our, in, our, in our big blockbuster movies. Somebody paid millions of dollars to put that movie because that's the, that's the, the, the uh, point that they wanted to get out to the world. That's what they wanted people to think. It's all good. We can all do what we want to do. It doesn't matter. We're all going to the same place and at the end of it anyway. And God is good. He loves everybody. God ain't going to hurt nobody. He ain't going to send nobody to hell. That is a lie from the devil. That is a lie. You can't get to God any other way. All religions are not the same. There is one religion, that is Jesus Christ. I don't want you to be religious, church. I want you to be Christ followers. There's a lot of people in this world who have died and gone to hell and they were as religious as they could be. And you say, look out. A lot of people are religious. We look in the Bible, we look at these Pharisees that Jesus is always getting on. These are some religious people. They come to church, they give their money, they dress good, they said long prayers, they was all this good stuff. But you know what? They didn't follow Jesus. They didn't follow Jesus. They didn't trust in Jesus. The world will tell you you can get to God in a lot of different ways, live the way you want to, it don't matter, have fun, be worship Allah, worship this God, worship one of 17 gazillion other gods, and you all going to get to the same place. But the Bible says otherwise. The only way to the Father, to the Lord God Almighty, to the Creator of heaven and earth, is through Jesus Christ. There are lots of religions that will tell you you need to do more. You need to earn your way. You need to do all this crazy stuff. And the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says we need to submit to Jesus Christ. And that takes a humble spirit. And we're proud people. Human beings, we're proud people. To come to Jesus Christ requires some humility. 
Because we want to do everything in our, on our own, especially the American way. We're tough. We can do it. We don't need anybody's help. And we want to do that in life. We don't ever want to ask for help. We don't want to seek help from nobody else, especially not Jesus. I got this. I can do this, God. But you can't do it. A lot of times, people won't come to Jesus because they, they don't want to be weak. They think they're weak. Well, I got news for you. When you are weak, you are strong. God's Word says, My grace is sufficient for power is perfected in weakness. Well, that's good stuff right there. That's good stuff. God's grace is sufficient because power is perfected in weakness. A lot of people in the world thought Jesus was weak. He died on a cross. How strong could it possibly be? The Bible says that what the world knows is foolishness. That is Jesus' death on the cross. We know it is God's grace. We know that it's the only way. Jesus is standing before the throne and He wants every one of us to come there and be before the Father. I guarantee you He does. He wouldn't die if He didn't. He wants every single one of you to come and stand before the Father and to be washed in the blood. You ain't got to jump through hoops. Praise the Lord we ain't got to do what they had to do in the Old Testament. Praise the Lord that God knew that that way wasn't good enough and He sent a better way and that better way is Jesus. And He was a sacrifice. And He is worthy. And He alone is worthy. There's no one else under heaven or on, in heaven or on earth or under the earth. No name by which man may be saved other than that of Jesus Christ. Have you been washed in the blood? Have you accepted what Jesus did for you? <coughs> Have you humbled yourself in your weakness and said, God, I'm not good enough, I'm giving it to you? Because I can assure you there's nothing that we can ever do that will be good enough. But what Jesus did is perfect. And He has been victorious and He wants to share that victory with you. Let's pray. God, I come to You this morning. I thank You for Your Word. God, I pray that You'd be with anyone in this room today that is just Your Spirit is just working on their heart, God that they realize they have not been washed in the blood, that they would come to You and seek You today, dear Lord God, that they would give their life to You. God, I pray that You keep us ever present, that Jesus alone is worthy, that we're not worthy on our own, Lord, and we are grateful that Jesus came and that we have hope. And so I pray, God, as we close, that, God, if You're speaking to anybody in this room today, that they would respond to You. Maybe it's someone that's already yours, dear Lord God, that's gone astray, that just needs to repent, that they would turn and seek you today. God, maybe there's somebody in this room that maybe they've been to church their whole life. Maybe they're religious, but they're not Christian, dear Lord. Whatever it may be, God, you know their hearts, and let your Holy Spirit work, and let them answer your call, whatever it may be today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.